What's good, everybody? I'm your host, Khalif Adams of the Spawn On Me podcast, the premier podcast spotlighting people of color in the video game industry. Join us every week for news, previews, and reviews around all the games that you care about in the video game industry. We do all of that with a smidge of nuance while we tackle hard conversations through a prism of blackness. Make sure you're checking out our show every week here on the Fanbyte Podcast Network. folks welcome to a brand new episode of thanks for the knowledge fanbytes weekly news show rounding up the headlines and games and entertainment in one handy podcast i'm your host head of fanbyte media john warren how are you i hope your week has gone well we have an absolutely packed show for you this week uh we have an interview from natalie flores with two voice actors from life is strange true colors erica mori and katie bentz that is an excellent conversation i also sat down and talked to diego arguello and paul tamayo about far cry 6 and how its depiction of latin american culture is not necessarily very authentic. That's not a huge shocker, but a lot of interesting context and detail from that conversation, so stay tuned for that. We have to get to the top stories of the week, headlined by Twitch's Big Breach. Earlier this week, hackers infiltrated Twitch and leaked significant information onto the public web, including Twitch.tv source code with deployment commits dating back to the early days of the platform, source code for multiple Twitch clients, code related to proprietary Amazon Web Services functions, internal security tools, data from other Twitch subsidiaries, code for an unannounced Steam competitor from Amazon, and three years of streamer payout data. The unknown hackers have labeled this leak as being a quote part one. It's unclear if there is only a part, if there is only a part two to expect or if we are in for the long haul with multiple leaks. Regardless, this was a ton of data that we saw. The Verge reporters Tom Warren and Ash Parrish dove deeper into the leaks, speaking to multiple Twitch employees, former and current, who say that the company values of speed and profit uh, directly conflict with user uh, concerns like security and safety. The conclusion of the piece is that this kind of security breach has become increasingly likely over the years, given the pace at which Twitch works and how they prioritize certain things over others. Others. The hate raid epidemic on Twitch from this past summer highlighted many security and safety issues that went largely unchecked, even as they tore through chat windows of streamers of color for weeks. An anonymous former Twitch employee told The Verge that management seemed largely uninterested in user safety during the two years they worked there, noting that alarms were raised years ago about the potential of hate raids becoming commonplace. Other sources told The Verge that security and safety issues often aren't publicized by the company, including a 2017 breach that allowed scammers to access internal Amazon services and connect streamer accounts to compromised Amazon accounts. This new breach is simply the most catastrophic in a long line of incidents that led to this moment. Someone on 4chan posted the entire 125 gigabyte commit history of Twitch and said the leak is supposed to, quote, foster more disruption and competition in the online video streaming space, end quote. 
That video streaming space, by the way, has indeed become less crowded over the past few years with Microsoft's Mixer platform going under in 2020 and other platforms like Facebook and YouTube are, you know, owned and operated by some of the wealthiest monopolizing companies in the world. So pick your poison. Uh, the payout data revealed what most folks could easily calculate given the publicly available subscription information of your of your favorite streamers. The top earners on Twitch make a lot of money, is the general conclusion. Tabletop RPG show Critical Role is officially the top moneymaker on Twitch and subscriptions alone, according to the leak. Again, none of this should be too surprising for folks with a calculator. Still, seeing everything plainly can be seen as a breach of privacy for these streamers, of course, though no critical user data has been leaked in this first wave. That isn't to say that that's not coming, but we just don't know at this point. Twitch in 2021 is continuing its years-long history of ignoring user concerns about safety, and this week it appears it is being punished for that lackadaisical effort. Users should, by the way, uh, reset your passwords and set up two-factor authentication. You should be doing that for all of your sign-ins anyway, but two-factor is has probably never been easier. They're really cool authentication apps you can download on your phone. They're pretty easy to use. Uh, Twitch has also reset everyone's stream keys, which are the unique long streams strings of characters given to each account. So if you have your Twitch account connected to a software like OBS, you'll have to update that the next time you want to go live. Moving from one massive technology company having major problems to another, Facebook and critical services from Facebook had a total service outage on Monday this past week. You almost certainly knew that if you're one of the billions of people who use Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp, which are the three key platforms taken down by what Facebook is calling a configuration issue and not an external attack. The timing, of course, is interesting because the outage occurred just days after whistleblower Francis Haugen's explosive 60 minutes interview shed light on Facebook's alleged hate speech amplification algorithm. If you missed that story, the short version is not particularly surprising, but Facebook could have used algorithms to curb disinformation and hate speech, but found that they they would generate less profit if they did so, so they chose not to curb those things. And in fact, may have amplified them. Another interesting detail from the past week includes the disbanding of the committee at Facebook to uphold civic integrity just before the insurrection attempt at the Capitol on January 6th. The whistleblower's interview and the Facebook outage are unrelated, however, according to multiple sources. On Tuesday, Facebook elaborated as to the cause of the outage, saying that the bridge between data servers shut down during maintenance, which caused DNS servers to go offline. Since Facebook's platform is all-encompassing, meaning that the developers use Facebook to fix Facebook, basically, it took many hours to diagnose and fix the issue. There were even reports that engineers had to go to a physical data center to reset servers, which is basically unheard of in 2021. This week's outage wasn't as bad as the 2019 outage, which caused Facebook services to be down for over 24 hours, but it still caused plenty of damage. The nearly six-hour outage caused a lot of problems here in the U.S., but also wreaked havoc, uh, most, most havoc internationally, where WhatsApp is used as a major communication tool in other countries. Outages of Facebook services also greatly affect small businesses who use the platforms to advertise their services and products. Uh, Facebook is also inextricably linked to Oculus, meaning you probably had trouble accessing your games during the outage. Servers for the platform went back online at around 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Monday, ending the issues for the time being. How Facebook deals with a whistleblower's believable allegations, however, remains to be seen. 
On Friday, Rockstar confirmed the long-standing rumor that it is working on a PlayStation 2-era trilogy remaster of the games that shot the studio into the stratosphere. Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition, that's a mouthful, is the official name of the remasters coming to modern consoles before the end of 2021. That means you'll be able to play updated versions of Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas on PC, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S and Nintendo Switch pretty soon. A mobile version of this package will be available in the first half of 2022. Next week, Rockstar will remove the individual listings of those three games from all storefronts, meaning there will be an as of yet unknown amount of time that you can just straight up not buy those games digitally until the remastered collection comes out. Grand Theft Auto V, of course, is still going very strong with its online functionality and will be getting a PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X and S version next year. Nintendo's OLED Switch model is out in the wild as we speak, and with the current news cycle comes a renewed interest in Joy-Con Drift, the name for the common problem Switch players have with their joysticks breaking after repeated use. Nintendo, for the first time, is directly addressing how they are changing the way they build Joy-Con to address Drift, creating a more durable joystick on each little controller. The bad news is Nintendo is also admitting that this is going to be an ongoing issue, comparing Joy-Con controllers to tires on a car, meaning that over time it is expected to see some wear and tear and performance issues. The new OLED model of Switch contains the small fixes that Nintendo has made to the Joy-Con. Meanwhile, the class action lawsuit surrounding Joy-Con grift has been expanded to include users who bought the handheld-only Switch Lite. Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl is a Smash Brothers-like, featuring the cartoon stars of your favorite Nickelodeon shows, like Reptar from Rugrats, which you can see an exclusive character video of over at Fanbyte's YouTube channel. Anyway, uh, data miners have dug deep into this game's code to find placeholder lines and other tidbits from characters that don't as of yet appear in the game. Turn away now if you don't want to be spoiled on Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, potential future characters. Okay, are you ready? Okay. The data mine found a placeholder image for everyone's favorite lasagna cat, Garfield, uh, artwork for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arch nemesis Shredder, and voice line readings for Tommy Pickles from Rugrats, and Mr. Krabs, Squidward, and Plankton from SpongeBob SquarePants. Announcer lines were also found for Jimmy Neutron from Jimmy Neutron and Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life, two shows that are as of yet unrepresented in the game. Uh, check out fanpy.com for more info on Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. Uh, and what about the OG brawler, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate? Mr. Sakurai gave his final address to the Smash audience this week in a Smash Direct, include introducing Kingdom Hearts' Sora as the last DLC character to appear in the game. The Keyblade-wielding protagonist isn't the most surprising choice, but Sora appears in the game without other appearances from other Disney characters like Goofy, Donald Duck, or the dude himself, Mickey Mouse. Simple and Clean's orchestral version played throughout the video reveal, but will apparently not not appear in the game itself, though other Kingdom Hearts tracks will. Uh, Sora's stage is a grand tour of Hollow Bastion, a level from the game, uh, which looks pretty cool. We discussed Sora's appearance uh, in Smash Ultimate at length on this week's episode of 99 Potions, Fanbyte's premier RPG podcast. So you should go check that out. Uh, 
super huge week uh, this week. I can't believe all the stuff happened. Uh, the Twitch stuff is incredibly uh, major. We will uh, certainly hear more about this either from Twitch itself or or from other sources. I would expect the other part of this leak to drop at some point soon. Hopefully that's not too bad. Uh, but we will see uh, how many people's data is actually compromised, if any. Um, next, I, I really want to introduce a very cool interview uh, from Natalie Flores. Uh, she got to sit down with Erica Mori and Katie Bentz, two voice actors from Life is Strange, True Colors. That conversation is really, really cool. So let's jump to that now. I have been meaning to speak with both of you, so thank you for making the time today. Of course. Um, I'd like to ask, uh, how are you? And I know that the sort of socially acceptable answer is always to just be like, yeah, I'm good. Um, but I, I generally want to know how you two are doing. Um, since you're on the receiving end of so much love, specifically from a particular community, and maybe that might be a little jarring given the current times and the pandemic. Um, Katie, I just watched your playthrough of Wavelengths and I saw how emotional you got. I got very emotional as well. Um, I just want to know sort of your headspace now that Life is Strange True Colors is released into the world and you have time to reflect and interact with the community. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um uh, I think that overwhelmed is a good descriptor, um, but in a good way, it's a it's a good overwhelming way. Um, definitely just being able to to navigate everything um, that's that's coming our way. Um, I'm a really big I'm really big on Twitter and interacting with the fans through my socials. So uh, that's really important to me. So it's just a, a matter of navigating that and, and figuring out like the healthiest way to continue doing that. Um, but yeah, no, it just, it feels honestly so great to have it released and out there. Um, there's definitely a little bit of like sadness that it's like, you know, the initial release of it and everything is, is over because there's just that exciting hype with it and playing the game as, you know, for me, like there's a lot of actors that maybe don't necessarily play their games or watch their movies. But for me, I enjoy seeing the end product because everybody who worked on it comes together and they create this so it's nice just to see everything um in in the end and definitely playing it and playing wavelengths for sure um there was a bit of uh, emotional sadness because i was like oh man it's coming to an end but just the end product is is honestly so gorgeous on both true colors and wavelengths erica how about you i mean she totally stole my word overwhelming <laughs> yes overwhelmed was exactly um how I felt upon launch. And I'd been warned by Katie herself and by Zach Garris and Webb and people who've been through this before. Um, just your life will, will change, uh, once this is out in the world. Um, and thank goodness I had had Katie to shepherd me towards like more prominence and the, and being more available on social media because interacting with the fans, um, has been really fun. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not as, as like on top of it or, um, as on top of, of responding as, 
you know, as Katie is, but Katie's I do. Katie's on all the Chen Rich fan art, just being like, awesome, it's so cute, so good. Yeah. Yeah. She, she got, she's got it. You know, she, <laughs> she gave him like a thumbs up. Well, not a thumbs up because that's not cool. And Katie's really cool. But, you know, she, she responded. And so she, that's representative of both of us. <laughs> Um, I definitely am so relieved that True Colors and also Wavelengths is finally out. Um, there were definitely points during the pandemic when I was, you know, finishing my game in the base, the game in my basement and just inside my own head being like, Square could choose to pull the plug. What what if they decide that they're not going to release it, that it's not good enough, that, you know, um, initial playthroughs, uh, those players have hated them. I mean, you know, all of the the nasty self-talk that that happens when you have been trapped alone in in your house as an extrovert um, for many, many months. And um, so the relief of seeing it in the real world and seeing people play this labor of love from deck nine from the entire team over there and from the all of the talent uh the other actors was really wonderful yeah for sure um i want to know how both of you decided to get into acting um erica i know you were in the corporate world for a while and it didn't seem like it was your jam um, and Katie, I know that you mentioned moving to LA and having a background in musical theater, um, but I want to know how each of you decided on acting as a thing that I want to do. Uh, yeah, definitely. So um, growing up, um, I was, you know, and it's, I'm good, I'm fine. Everything that's happened in, in our past has shaped who we are today, but I was, I was bullied a lot growing up and um didn't really have a place in, in, you know, the school or in a friend groups or anything like that. And, uh, I remember my mom, she put me into cheerleading at like 10 years old or something. And she just, she had, when she recalls this, she said that my, my face just lit up, you know, being able to just perform in front of people. And, um, ever since then, just like, you know, being able to use, any kind of creative outlet that had to do with performing um, was really good and beneficial for me. And I found finally found friends who also were in that same world. So I would make a lot of like YouTube videos and just like, you know, make these stories and stuff with my friends. And then eventually I um, got involved in the drama club in my high school. And that was just, that was it. You know, I was just like, this is my home. This is what I enjoy doing. I love performing. I love doing theater. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, what do you want to do after high school. And, you know, everyone says, oh, you have to go to college. You have to go to college. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go and get my degree in theater. So um, that's what I did. I went and I, and I got my, de- three, my degree in uh, theater performance, uh, just straight plays. I'm not actually, I don't do musicals. Um, so just, just straight theater. And there's just something so, and Erica can attest to this, there's just something so amazing about doing plays. And, and just being in that world, being in that um, that character's body for, you know, two hours straight, just going through and telling their story. Um, and then, yeah, I decided after college, OK, what do you want to do now? <laughs> Where do you go? OK, well, I'm not a triple threat. I can't go to New York. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So why don't I try this, you know, film, the film industry and, um, you know, kind of 
similar, just similar to, to Erica, I just kind of fell into, fell into the Life is Strange world. And um, it was one of the first things that I booked out here. And um, it's just been a wild ride and I'm thankful for it every single day. And yeah. Especially because you didn't audition, right? Like you didn't did have audition. a typical... I did audition for it, but oh. I found it um, through self-submitting because anybody can right, go on right. to these websites really? and self-submit. And for some reason, they called me in and... Um, for some reason, for please. Some reason, for some, you know, because you're you never super talented it. at what you do. It's just... They <laughs> called me in on uh, for another character besides Steph in the first game, actually. Which character? Um, Which character? Samantha. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and then they called me back for stuff. Yeah, they did. And, yeah, they did. <laughs> and I was so happy. You know, I was so excited for it because, like, her uh, her little bio that you got was like sixteen year old, you know, lesbian drama, like stage manager, um, you know, D and D nerd. And I was like, yeah, dude, this this chick sounds <laughs> sick. Let's go. Um, you know, little did I know that it would grow into this huge this huge thing. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's nuts. So I always tell people out there, you know, just put your hands in everything. You know, don't rely on on agencies to get you out there, even if you have an agent. Like, if you truly want to get into any kind of, you know, whether it's voice acting or straight plays or or film, uh, you know, get out there yourself and also submit yourself because you have no idea, you have no idea what could happen. Right. Like you could just you know, submit for a random role that you probably didn't think too much about. And suddenly you're like one of the most popular side characters who then becomes the main <laughs> love interest and the superior love interest um, <laughs> <laughs> and the protagonist of your own DLC that like is so symbolic and monumentous for the queer community. So yeah, you never know. Erica, no, before I move on, I just want to say that is really lovely to know about you. And it just makes me think about stuff talking about what made her stand out, what made her quote unquote weird, and how she's like, find that thing and hone it. For her, it was coming out, and for you, it was acting. Mm-hmm. So, those yeah. are cute parallels. Yes. Yeah, Erica, sure. what about you? I was very extra as a child. Um, You can (laughs) ask uh, people who've known me since I was young, my parents, uh, my brother, family. I was all over the place. I just had boundless energy. And I think my mom put me in dance class as like a break. (laughs) She might have just needed some time to herself without, you know, this human energizer bunny pinging off the walls in the house. And so that's how I got into performance, I would say. And then in junior high and high school, I did plays and musical theater and sang in the choir. I I loved I loved all of it and still danced um, competitively on the side that was dance is definitely my first love. And, um, I still, I still do it today. Uh, then I took a real long break. I went to college and I declared my major pretty late because, uh, my parents and I couldn't agree on my major. Uh, I love my parents and they are very pragmatic. Um, they have always supported 
you know, the creative things that I wanted to do. Um, and also we're like, college is really expensive and you're going to go out into the adult world. And so select a degree that is going to set you up for, for success in, in the adult world. And so I was like, oh, maybe dance, maybe theater, maybe creative writing. What about classics? And finally settled on public relations and business, which was very fun, which was fabulously interesting. Um, And so I have like almost 15 years of experience in corporate America doing business consulting, not the technical side. I can barely function a computer, but um, like the people side, (laughs) the people side of things. Um, And then came back to acting a couple years ago, right around the time when I uh, was cast in, in True Colors because I was just seeking really, really thirsty for a, a creative outlet. And so I decided to take some adult acting classes at the Denver Center. And I uh, was in a class where my instructor was the casting director for True Colors. And she sent me the audition and I had no idea what I was doing. It was months before I knew what I was doing. (laughs) If I'm being totally honest, I might still not know what I'm doing. Um, But the people at Deck Nine are so caring and compassionate and excited to to teach people things that um, I felt really shepherded along the process and um, supported while I found my footing. I, if you don't know, if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, I am both terrified and excited for the day that you do feel like you know what you're doing, um, because Alex is my favorite character in the Life is Strange universe now. Um, there's always this this vulnerability that you have to your voice, uh, no matter what the situation that Alex is in, and I was just kind of like, it's kind of stupid that this, like, this is her first role, sort of her first major role, like, that's... That's talent. That's like so amazing. Um, So you, I can't imagine Alex uh, having anyone else's voice. Um, So you did incredible. Thank you. Um, I'm curious. What do you love most about the character that you voice? I love how hopeful and persevering Alex is. Like she, she has this power where emotion isn't safe. And every time she steps foot outside and comes into contact with anyone, she runs the risk of being overwhelmed by whatever they're feeling. And she can also tell like how they might feel about her. Um, And I think that's trying to imagine the weight of that every single day makes me really proud and impressed with her for continuing to put herself out there for her hope to find a home, to reconnect with her family, to make friendships that can last, to find love um, is something that I love about Alex and something that I learned from Alex. Steph has kind of taught me a lot about myself. Um, especially after playing the games, I was able to just really look inward at myself with, I think a lot of us don't usually do. We, you know, 
we're so busy all the time and we just are go, go, go. We don't have enough time to self-reflect on things um, that we're dealing with in life. And so playing wavelengths and seeing the entire story that, you know, I was, I performed a year ago to um, its entirety was just for me as a player, it taught me that, you know, it, it's okay just to just live in the moment. You know, you should live in the moment because if you're too busy trying to to find somebody, you know, let's just focus on that. So, you know, she's lonely, right? Stuff's lonely. And she really wants to find a partner in her life. She's at that point where she really wants that. But the more and more she looks, it's just she keeps running into things that aren't working for her. Um, instead of like looking at her situation as this DJ in a really cool town, um, you know, making an actual impact on these people's lives in this town through her through her DJing and just uh, her energy on air, focusing on that. And then once she's not worrying about what she doesn't have, she eventually sees Alex Chen walk into the radio booth and players know oh my gosh like it's just it's it's crazy it changes that whole character Steph's character in true colors and uh yeah I I would advise people not to play wavelengths before you play true colors so you can you know give Ryan a chance um because (laughs) you feel so bad for Steph because she's been wanting that you know um and it's it's truly uh it's beautiful how they lined that up but um, yeah, so just being able to to look inward at myself and realize that, okay, Katie, just focus on what you're doing right now in this moment, which is, you know, streaming to all these wonderful people and you're truly making an impact in people's lives and, and everything else will just fall into place. And I think that she's a very relatable character. And I think that's what I enjoy most about portraying her is um, how well she relates to 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 the fandom and how much she represents the fandom too. Um, Not only, you know, as uh, a queer person, but as somebody who, you know, deals with past trauma, as you see in the DLC, you know, she has got a lot going on for her. And um, again, just written so well. And yeah, I don't know. And she's so sassy and just like witty and competitive. And (laughs) I loved that about her. I love that about her. you just see this, you know, she's got this little like smile, this little smirk for a lot of her lines, you know, especially in True Colors. And it's just so fun to play that. It is. And it's so fun for the queer ladies. We go wild every time that she does a smirk. Um, <laughs> I'm glad um, because that smirk's not, that smirk's not me. Like, that smirk, I'm, it's not. That smirk yeah. is totally Steph's smirk. Like, you know, yeah. that's, that's a Steph-ism, 100%. Yeah. Stuff is, um, I love mm-hmm. that. No, um, that was really touching to hear. I, I know that in your stream, um, congrats on 10k subs, by the way. Oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> um, you talked about how you struggle to live in the moment, like with an autoimmune yeah. disorder, and like just with like the way that life is. Um, I think especially when you're so ambitious, it's so hard to live in the moment. Um, so I really related to that conversation that you had on your chat and, you know, was moved hearing that. So I'm, I'm glad that stuff has that impact for you. And I'm glad that Alex has had that impact for Erica as well. Um, who is your favorite character aside from the one that you voice and why? Erica, you seem like you have an answer ready. Well... I mean, I didn't know that bald guy existed, um, like in in his like full beautiful <laughs> form, um, until I was watching playthrough. I was like, man, Billy killed it 
bald guy is killer. But when I was asked this question before launch, it was always Steph because I would play the build and I would just be awestruck by how amazingly um, like fully formed Steph came through from what Katie gave in the room into the game. Like it was amazing. It was so compelling. Like you want to be in this, in this woman's good graces, you want Steph to think that you're cool. There's um, a reason why it's 75 to 25. <laughs> like, that's all we're going to say. I mean, Katie yeah. was very nice to throw a bone to Ryan. She did it for the <laughs> Ryan fans earlier. Well, <laughs> but it's 75 to 25. Totally. And, and like, Ryan is also, like, so compelling and, like, sweet. And I, I love how... Uh, Steph and Ryan were written um, with Alex kind of at the the point of the triangle because they do act as um, almost like opposites in a way. Um, But both are stabilizing forces in Alex's life when she really, really needs that. And I think it's just so cool to see how different personalities, it's not just one type of personality or one character trait of characteristics that make somebody like stable or a positive influence in somebody's life. It's, it's really like the alchemy of a person. And we see like that nuance complexity in Steph and in Ryan fully realized because of the work that Katie and Eric did. Yeah. Wait, so is your answer Steph? It's Steph. (laughs) Yes. The answer is Steph. (laughs) Katie. Mustafa, what about you? Oh, I love Ducky. Oh, I love Ducky. I was expecting I love Ducky today. I was like, I, love I was going to say Ducky. Mm-hmm. Ducky is my favorite character. Um, I just think he is just. I have you a cried thing. during that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I did because I, I just have a thing for like babies, old people, and animals. So like, whenever they're in like distress or something. Because they can't, like, I don't know, like, they're not as, like, they don't know how to process things, you know, obviously with with uh, with uh, Eleanor and the Alzheimer's or, you know, like, babies can't literally help themselves. Dogs can't do anything, you know? So it's just, like, when they're in trouble, like, I feel so bad. And, you know, he's all by himself. He's alone. He lost literally the love of his life, who he had spent 30-plus years with. And now he has to figure out how to live without her. And, He's just such a genuine soul, too, that we get to explore. Uh, thank, thank you to Deck Nine for, you know, creating his story arc because it's so beautiful. And you just can't help but love Ducky. And the fact that he gets to come back in Wavelengths is so amazing. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think Deck Nine knew that fans would love to see Ducky again. Yeah, Ducky's wonderful. Um, I want to ask, what was your favorite scene to record? Erica, I know you've answered this before with the Ryan scene on the clifftop. I'm going to ask you to give me a different answer, not because I'm pushing a strictly (laughs) pro-Steph agenda, (laughs) although that is my goal, ultimately, (laughs) and everything that I do. Um, But since you've already mentioned it before, and I imagine there are multiple scenes, there's no shortage of scenes that you loved to record. Yeah. Um, and it's funny every time I, I get asked this question, um, it helps me remember 
filming the game and there weren't many, many scenes that I didn't, that I didn't like filming. It was most of the time I, I couldn't believe that this was my job because it was so fun and it didn't feel like work as I had known work to feel, um, up to that point. Um, I would say for a different answer, having Han back on set for chapter five, um, and re reliving and reconnecting to the brother sister bond between Alex and Gabe was really excellent. And having him there for those really heavy scenes where you're looking at Alex in the hospital with her mom or Alex trying to get in between her dad and her brother who are fighting. Um, Gabe in the, in the orphanage telling her the harsh truth without sugarcoating it. Those were such powerful scenes and were only possible because of the writing, the direction, and Han. Like, he comes onto set, and if you have a scene with him, he holds space for you to figure it out, to find things um, for yourself and together with him. Like, he is one of the most generous scene partners, um, and I guess now he he is, like, my older brother that I could have asked for. I think... uh the entire foosball scene up in oh, yeah. the apartment with uh, Alex and Steph <laughs> might be my favorite uh, just because of the arc of the scene. You know, we we go in there and we see how much uh, the death of Gabe is affected, um, has affected Steph. And, you know, of course, Alex goes in there to to try and fix it. And you see that arc. You see the the sadness that finding the foosball trophy brings upon Steph and then you hear her still pretty sad you know she doesn't really want to she doesn't really want to play foosball but she also is really competitive and she thinks <laughs> Alex is cute and she's gonna play but when you first start you know she's still like yeah not really into it but then the banter between Alex and Steph just like brings out this incredible fun scene and just seeing all of the different options like on people's playthroughs has just been fun really wild to see it all so um, that would probably be my favorite one, just just overall for the arc of those two characters. Awesome. And I think this will be my last question for today. Um, but uh, Erica, okay, so I want to ask because, okay, Katie, you forgave Judd in your playthrough and you had <laughs> yeah. a wonderful, you know, long process that you explained to your viewers about yeah. it. Erica, you're one of the people who said you would condemn Judd, and I feel like we're a minority, but I'm like, <laughs> we're not wrong. Like, I... No, we are I, I want to know your thoughts. Like, why would you condemn Judd? Because, like, when we did a spoiler cast on it over at Fanbyte, like, all my friends forgave Judd, and they had really compelling reasons for doing that. And I was Worst. like, yeah, that's, like, really nice, but, like... Yeah, of course they did. You can convince yourself of anything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is very heartwarming to see how many people choose to forgive somebody who shot you, not in the face, but he tried, tried so hard. That was, that was a a bullet to your body. Um, And who is responsible for your brother's death in a way, your father's death directly. And so, 
you know, regardless of Alex's complex feelings and relationship with her father, um, that's blood. And I, I'm sure there is a higher version of, of me, Erica, who would choose to forgive Jed, but maybe I just have too much. I I feel so indignant at, at Jed and his lying, his, his lying liar face Mm -hmm. to everyone and himself. And, um, I get that it takes a lot to kind of open up yourself to introspection and really peel back the layers and say, and hold yourself up to the light and to accountability. And the fact that we're able to do that with Alex for herself is incredible. And so compassion certainly um, Mm -hmm. is required for, for Jed, maybe not, not having the bravery, the courage, or being equipped to do that. Um, Alex is of a completely different generation than than Jed. And you think about, you know, stigma around talking about things that that are hard or taboo or going to therapy or finding support groups, like whatever it is. Um, I'm not saying it's just a generational thing, but it's certainly um, – it certainly can be. And so for me, I just, I couldn't get over the fact that he killed my family. Damn it. Right. Right. And then he shot me. He shot me. I did. I had to climb out of that stupid mine. We don't know how yeah, she did it. You were literally it- in the mocap studio climbing out of a mine. Like people <laughs> weren't seeing that, but you were. <laughs> That's right. I And I, I was falling into the mine. We've already talked about the swing. I won't say the word before it, but I think we all know what it is. <laughs> so that, please yeah. watch Erica and Katie's chat over at Katie's channel. For me, like forgiving, like, I, yeah, I sat there for a little bit, but I just, like I had uh, talked about prior is... Alex's character was a character that I was able to actually play as Alex instead of playing as Katie because I think I just related to Alex. So I just solely played as Alex. What would this character do? And, you know, this whole journey is her trying to heal and her trying to forgive the things that happened in her past. Maybe not forget them. Obviously, we can't forget what's happened, but we can forgive that. And in order to forgive things, that's that's what you need to heal. And so in that moment, yes, I thought about all those things like this guy just literally tried to kill me and he killed <laughs> you know, indirectly and directly people in my life. Um, but I, at, at that moment, I was like, okay, if if Alex wants to start her healing journey, you know, and move on from all this stuff, she has to forgive this, the, the biggest, the biggest thing right here. And it's Jed, that it, this is going to allow her to heal. That's what I thought. You're um, so right. God, Katie, you're so good. You um, Alex. <laughs> yeah. And the. And then it was so validating because in the journal, after you um, read the emotion that you got from Jed, it even says like, I think forgiving, you know, really helped me to actually heal. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I was really happy to see that because, um, yeah. Um, But that was that was after uh, I only got that journal entry when I condemned him in my last one. You don't get to see that when you can condi- when you don't when you forgive him. So you see it mm-hmm. like he's like 
she's talking about how, you know, maybe if I forgive him, then I would have been able to heal because I still feel like there's an emptiness in me right now that I can't move on from. And that was after condemning him. And I was like, dang, it's crazy. That's real. They really make you think. That's what I'm still going to condemn him, but that is an excellent, like, that's what's great about these games is you can make these choices and you can, you can justify them and make them valid in your own, your own playthrough. And that's, what's beautiful about these games. There's no right or wrong way to play it at all. Right. For sure. I think that about wraps up time. Thank you so much, Erica and Katie, for talking to me about Life is Strange True Colors. Um, Y'all already know I adore this game. I adore your characters. Uh, You did incredible work um, that is meaningful in so many ways to not just the Life is Strange community, but also like the queer women in this fan base like me and just everyone who has been waiting for something like this. And we're so glad that you're a part of it. So thank you so much for chatting with me about all your thoughts. And um, where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm at the underscore Erica underscore Mori on both Instagram and Twitter. And that's it. That's all I got. That's all she got. Uh, the best way to uh, find me is you can find me through my Twitch channel or my Twitter um, account, which is Katie Bentz. So, yeah, I do have an Instagram as well. But yeah. Everyone, if you sent her Stephanie and Alex fan art, she's going to see I it. Never, I try to at least react to every single yes. thing that people tag me in. Um, and she is responding for the both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. This is great. This past week was absolutely jam-packed with game releases, including the Nintendo OLED as well as Metroid Dread. Uh, And Metroid Dread is pretty good so far. If you haven't picked it up, it's pretty good. Um, But this week also has its fair share of big game releases, so let's go down the list. Uh, Starting on October 12th, Back for Blood, the upcoming co-op zombie shooter, much in the vein of the Vaunted left for dead series uh you can play it on playstation 5 xbox series x and s playstation 4 xbox one and pc disco elysium the final cut may be low-key one of the very best games of 2021 even though that might be cheating just a little bit i guess but it's coming to xbox series x and s xbox one and switch on october 12th putting that on a mobile device is super exciting i own it like twice or three times already i'll probably pick it up again for switch it's that good monster crown is coming out as well uh on october 12th to playstation 4 xbox one uh, switch and pc ori the collection if you like those ori games or if you haven't jumped on them yet they're beautiful gorgeous platformers they're so 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 good both of those games now on the nintendo switch on october 12th slender the arrival goes to ios and android on october 13th dungeon encounters comes to play PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC on October 14th. And the Jackbox Party Pack 8 comes to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on October 14th. That game is pretty cool. We played it on stream not that long ago. Uh, Job Job is, I think, the best game of the bunch that we played, uh, but a few of them are a lot of fun. It's just a really great game to play with some friends, especially if you're remote. It's super, super cool. Uh, The Rift Breaker comes to Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 5, and PC on October 14th as well. Crisis Remastered Trilogy comes to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, 
PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on October 15th. You can, once again, all over again, ask yourself the question, is your PC good enough to run Crisis? The new Demon Slayer game comes to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC on October 15th. Uh, NHL 22 comes to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One on October 15th. If you want to uh, smash some teeth in with some good, good hockey boys, that's that's usually a pretty good time. Uh, and finally, The Good Life, the uh, amazing cat city photography game. Uh, that's a swirly joint coming to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. I feel like that game has been uh, on the verge of coming out for like three years. Uh, but that's coming finally on October 15th. There's not a whole lot of streaming news this week, not a whole lot of brand new stuff that I can really point to and say, hey, you should definitely watch that. Uh, but there is some cool stuff coming uh, uh, on the 17th, like Succession. I'm going to say it again, and we're going to have like a, a more of a streaming centric episode next week. I want to talk to Julia Alexander. Uh, you may remember from uh, places like Polygon and, and IGN. Now she works at an amazing analytics firm. She's going to stop by to talk about all the latest and greatest with streaming services, some news there. But we'll also probably geek out about uh, Succession because that show is super good over on HBO Max. Uh, and also You is coming to uh, uh, Netflix, You Season 3. That's actually a pretty big one for me, at least. That's October 15th. So uh, if you like those first seasons of that show, uh, I don't know. I think it's a funnier Dexter is what I would say. Certainly a better Dexter. Um, but I think that's a, that's a really good show and it's coming back on the 15th. Uh, and yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it for what's coming up next week. Got quite a few things. It's, it's going to pick up a little bit more at the end of October and beginning of November, but, uh, this past week was chock full of new releases. So definitely pick up some of those they are really good. One of the biggest releases of the past week is Ubisoft's long-running series, Far Cry. And the sixth Far Cry, that's not even remotely accurate, it's like the ninth or tenth, but Far Cry 6 did come out this week, uh, featuring the a, a jaunt across the fictional country of Yara. With me to discuss this big game are my wonderful producer, Paul Tamayo. Hello, Paul. Hey, John. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, and also, you might have read his review of Far Cry 6 over at Polygon.com. If you haven't, I definitely think you should. Uh, it is Diego Arguello. Hello, Diego. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I, I, I have played, I don't know, about five, ten hours of this game. Um, and I certainly have a, a, a feeling about this game from a mechanical standpoint. It's very much the same as other Far Cry games. Uh, is that kind of where y'all both are on this, or did you find something uh, notable about maybe the gameplay loop before we get into uh, some other stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the last Far Cry game I probably played was Far Cry 3, uh, and then I kind of like bounced back from the series uh, with 4 a bit. And it's just, it feels like Far Cry 3. I mean, the foundation <laughs> is there still. Yeah. Um, and sadly, at least on my end, the uh, the new additions didn't do much for me. Yeah. Um, like, I dig the ideas on paper, but then in practice, I was like, just 
relying on weapons I found uh, throughout <laughs> the war, and that was it. Like, I didn't care about the uh, Supremo upgrades or anything, so just, yeah. 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 I also kind of, I, I, I missed Far Cry 2. I just wasn't, I guess, gaming like that at that point in my life when sure. that was out. I was, I guess, a lot younger. <clears throat> I'm going to just go ahead and pepper that in there real quick. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I started with three. I kind of skipped over four. I jumped back into five. I played Blood Dragon. Uh, I played um, the DLC for the last one. I forget what it was called. The the sort of expansion that takes place after the sort of bombs dropped in Montana. Uh, or whatever. Neo Dawn. Yeah, New Dawn, New Dawn. Yes, yes. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I, I like the Far Cry series, even though it's like, you know, <laughs> it, it can definitely be corny as hell, uh, you know, as it's like kind of, you know, been known to do for quite some time now. But yeah, I mean, he, it definitely is Far Cry. This is Far Cry. Yeah. Uh, in, and, you know, it, just, it looks nicer. It's in a new location. And it's, yeah, it's certainly Far Cry. It's just a lot of the, um, you know, the, the set dressing and stuff like that is... Uh, you know, kind of annoying if I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Someone referred to it as junk food the other day on Twitter and uh, Jeff Grubb over at GameSpeed said, yeah, but I, I don't have to pay 60 bucks for a bag of Doritos, which I thought, which <laughs> I thought, was, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and I feel mostly the same way. It's like, I, I didn't really play a lot of four. I kind of bounced off of five. I played all the way through three and, and mostly liked it. And this is still very much the same game. In fact, if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, you can find a video of us doing a preview of the footage that we were able to take for Far Cry 6. And we did do a good bit where we also spliced in some stuff from Far Cry 5 because it's very, very similar. Um, <laughs> but I will say that it is a big departure from Montana to now this uh, this fictional kind of island nation uh, of Yara. And um, a lot has been I really want to get into the meat of this conversation because. A lot has been made up to the lead up of this game with just kind of how the vibes are going to be with the perennially, hey, we're not doing anything political company Ubisoft and their execution of what very much looks like to an outsider as their take on like Cuban relations, essentially. Um this was uh, that I didn't expect a lot, <laughs> honestly. And um, obviously we'd seen a lot of Giancarlo Esposito, uh, who is not a Latino actor um, uh, cast in this role as a main villain. I want to start with, with, I guess that character and his introduction in the story. Diego, how, how do you think that was handled specifically? Yeah, I think from the get go, like, I think we can all agree that nothing against like, uh, there's nothing bad against uh, the actor himself. Sure, but uh, the role actually just just as it happened in Breaking Bad, really. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah. I mean, it doesn't uh, specifically for this game. It just doesn't like feels believable. I think. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the things around him, uh, like just going a bit on into the gameplay for for this example, but. Um, there are moments in the game where, for example, you just find, uh, like, TVs uh, showing, like, a news channel, mm-hmm. like a local news channel. And you have, like, this whole introduction for, like, the uh, news folk in Spanish. And then you just jump into the speech, which is in English, mm-hmm. uh, with, like, <laughs> Esposito's weird accent. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's weird, I think. 
I mean, the the thing that we saw in the trailer is, of course, the thing that I I I link completely to Paul's reaction to it when we saw it in a trailer. But just the mix of saying, <laughs> introducing a sentence with "me papa" and then saying uh, everything oh, else yeah. in in English, and this is pervasive with everyone's dialogue in this game. Um, so I, I've seen mixed reactions to this, but Paul, I'll start with you. Like, how was your reaction to the? the unbelievable and fast and furious mixing of English and Spanish in the, the line reads of this game. Well, I mean, it, it's funny cause I've, I've been talking about this with Colin, a uh, friend at the site, Colin McGregor. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I kind of mentioned it to him as like, this is absolutely one of those like made for American audiences <laughs> ass dialogue uh, sprinkled right. throughout where it's like, you know, I, I mentioned it also on the optional this week where it's, it, it definitely is a game that is, very aware of who it's targeted towards and it is like it's like watching a disney movie where it takes place in an uh you know somewhere not in the states or in any english speaking country where they definitely speak another language and they just magically happen to speak english and their mouths are synced to speak english and it's made by like you know american or or western uh, creators, right? Artists. And right. this is exactly what that feels like. And um, like Diego said, I mean, look, I like Breaking Bad. I don't think it's the greatest thing to ever, you know, happen like a lot of folks do. Um, I think a lot of folks probably on the Ubisoft staff clearly think that. Again, no, no shades <laughs> to Giancarlo. I think Giancarlo's a great actor. I've loved him since like, you know, even like the Spike Lee days. But like, um, you know, there is, uh, there is like an... Uh, there's like this authenticity that's severely lacking throughout the game that you really, really pick up if you are from a Spanish speaking background or if you happen to be Latin American. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, Diego mentions this in his review for, for Polygon where it's like, it really is a shame. It's, it's a shame because, you know, a lot of the language stuff aside, a lot of the details that are sprinkled throughout the game are kind of cool to see because I, I haven't really yep. seen that in a, in a game of this caliber or, or I should say of like of this scale. Yeah. And um, it's a shame because I'm like, I don't re- I don't remember ever playing a first person shooter where I'm just like, you know, for lack of a better word, like fucking shit up. And then like salsa music is playing in the background. And then like, you know, um, it's just like that your characters are speaking to each other in, in Spanish. And it felt cool. It felt cool to, to like think about how many Medal of Honor and Call of Duty games I've played where I'm storming the beach of Normandy or I'm, or I'm doing whatever. And, you know, I haven't really had a chance to do that in Latin America or like, you know, tell some of those stories. But in this case, it's not that. Uh, it's crucially not that. They definitely want you to remember it's not that. It's, I, we swear it's not that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it leaves me conflicted because I like, I like the gameplay. I like the sort of, you know, the, um, the, the gamer brain responses that it gives me when, when things systemically interact with one another, but then I'm immediately taken out when I, again, when like, like Diego said, when I see a TV with Giancarlo speaking to me in English or hearing him over the speakers, I'm like, oh yeah, this is Far Cry. (laughs) So, yeah. Diego, I, how did you feel about that that kind of dissonance between uh, the, you know English and Spanish spoken language? Yeah, it's just uh, I think there was a lot of discussion uh, about that on social media on Twitter specifically, uh, and I definitely get that Spanglish is more uh, common in the US. Uh, to give one example, but um, 
yeah, as a game setting like a fictional uh, Cuba, it's like this is Latin America. There's like <laughs> there's no reason one for this country. We like yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, uh, English as a primary language, and it's like why not just go full Spanish? Like uh, right. as Paul was saying, there are a lot of conversations that happen mostly in the background, but also in like short sequences during cutscenes where um, people talk to each other in Spanish, like in full Spanish. Yeah, and it's just and they go back and forth all the time. Yeah, uh, and there's this um, moment that that happens frequently when you're driving and you're listening to a song on the radio, and sometimes uh, Danny Rojas, the protagonist will sing over the lyrics, yeah. like in full Spanish. And I'm like, why can't full game just be like this? Or just, <laughs> so I don't close. Know. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's like the biggest shame. Like, it's so close to being that. It, uh, but it feels like someone uh, on like the scale, on the upper scale, went and said like, uh, no, we're focusing on English for right. this one. It it would have been it would have been so bold of them to do the entire thing in a, in a Spanish script like that would have been incredible and I think that would have been like mm. such a game changing thing but it's also the the thing I would expect least from Ubisoft in a lot of ways um, but it was so so strange you also latched on Diego in your review to uh, the use of the word guerrilla like you know like you know the 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 guerrilla fighters that are in this place are using this word so frequently it starts to kind of lose its meaning um and i want to talk about kind of like the way revolution is discussed and uh portrayed in this game and the dissonance which you bring up in your review um you have this kind of generational experience with uh la guerra sucia the dirty war in argentina your your family has dealt with that that you mentioned that as well and how kind of bizarre it is to see these, um, you know, sometimes realistic depictions of oppression mixed with the most video game ass video game uh, you can imagine. I would love it if you could kind of elaborate on those feelings. I think by this point, like expecting something like, uh, I don't know, like uh, historically accurate or like super series from Farker Games is just uh, that's not exactly what anyone is expecting them to do. Um, but it's just a shame that it goes like back and forth, like so often between them. Um, and same as the language, there are like moments or like, uh, short sequences, for example, like on the dictatorship things, uh, side of things, where it's like, um, there are a lot of moments that I kind of relate to, not from my, my own experiences, for, but from like stories that I've been told. Uh, from my parents and such um, they're like yeah they're like super close or like uh, a good description of like what happened here and like in other countries uh, but yeah dangerous then you just find yourself like blowing shit up <laughs> or like uh, using the, the Discos Locos weapon which is mm. that place of the Macarena it's like I don't know uh, it's just it's weird to like take it at face value. I think. Yeah, you're you're summoning your pet alligator guapo from across the map, and it kind of takes you out of stuff. Um, those feelings, I have to imagine. Um, Paul, what did you think about the the liberal use of the phrase "Viva la Revolución" and "Viva la Libertad" uh, constantly in the uh, opening? I don't know, ten hours of this game. 
Uh, I mean, <laughs> you kind of, you kind of touched upon it earlier with, with some of the discussions that are happening on Twitter. But I um I also have just been referring to this game as like Taco Bell, like in terms of <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know you know what you're getting into. You know it's not actual authentic Mexican Mexican cuisine, and you know it's like you know what you're getting, and it's like it can still be good. It can still be satisfying to an extent. But a lot of the the liberal use of like all of these words, and especially when it's you know presented in Spanglish, and it it's it's bizarre because it's you know it's presented as this freedom fighting revolution like rebellious thing, which you know is so uh, deeply ingrained in our history and, and our our survival as a people throughout Latin America. There's you know how many countless stories of of these kinds of uh, rebellions and revolutions and and you know freedom fighters and and you know when you're hearing it so often and it, with accents that aren't quite right uh, especially <laughs> in the case of you know certain protagonists or, or certain antagonists i should say um you know it, it definitely starts to kind of give you like a laugh every now and then it's one of those things where it's like if you know you know and if you do know it completely takes you out of the experience but right. it's um it's a it's a bummer. It's a bummer because it, it like, you know, uh, one of my brilliant colleagues, Natalie Flores, um, once said like, you know, it, it feels like we're we should be grateful for these crumbs. Mm, and yeah, a lot of times I feel like, man, like s- sometimes the crumbs pack a, a cool amount of flavor. There's, there's some like again, there's really cool shit in there. Like you know, there's really nice moments and there's really beautiful vistas. And there's again, there's things about like there. There are so many stories from Latin America that have yet to be told, and I'm, I can't wait for them to be told. But I just want them to be told correctly, and I want them to be done with a level of respect that you're not going to get from the Far Cry series. Like there's. You know, there's like cockfighting in this game, and then there's mm, like you know, right. like we were saying, some of the weapons and the companions are just very much like, haha, like Ricky Martin. Remember Ricky Martin? Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's you know, on the radio now. It's <laughs> on the radio, yeah. So it's it's I don't know, it's disappointing, but it's also like a, a glimmer of like a, a taste of a, a fraction of a crumb of like what could be, and again, it's a shame. Do you, do you think I guess this is kind of a loaded question I'll, I'll ask to both of you, but you know you alluded Paul to kind of you want you want these stories to be told authentically, but you don't believe it's going to come from something like uh, from a company like Ubisoft. Do, do, does it matter to you that a big AAA company get this right, or do you do you care where these stories are coming from authentically? I'll, oh no, it's definitely the the latter for me. Okay. It's, um, I mean, it's. It, I talked about it on optional this week, but I feel like this kind of reminds me of something like Ghost of Tsushima, which I haven't played. But the the initial impression I got of that was, okay, here's a story about Japan, clearly filtered through a Western lens, sure, uh, yeah. a, that glorifies the samurai and, and kind of low key upholds nationalistic stories, uh, very like kind of problematic things, and they all magically speak English. And um, you know, I know that there's a Japanese track as well which is which is good but yeah sucker it, sucker punch did more i will say that than ubisoft yeah. did here but yeah i still yeah. the point remains yeah but yeah but I, I definitely want to see these stories being told but you know by and for in a lot of cases the people that are descendants of these experiences and stories and and that actually has something again i haven't finished the game i'm, I'm about probably eight to twelve hours in i, I honestly have lost track of time 
But um, I do kind of want to see it through. I, I do want to kind of like pick out the small things. And, and like I said, like I'm also not above the problematic action-packed <laughs> 90s, you know, bombastic affair. But, you know, I think with everything there, there's always something to analyze there and pick apart and dissect. And in this case, I don't know if they're ever going to like, it, it's weird because they they definitely have proven that they can take make this Final Fantasy-ass story with like something like Blood Dragon, where it's like, look, it's it's definitely not connected to anything besides its, its original inspiration, which is like 80s, you know, ridiculous action. Yeah. Um, it's just a shame. It's like, man, I, I, I wish, you know, you wouldn't treat my people's history and culture with the same sort of frivolousness in some cases. Yeah, Diego, how, how do you feel about this coming from a AAA company? I mean, do you care where this authenticity comes from or or, you know, does it... Does it have to be from a AAA company or, or you know, do you care where it comes from? I think it's been interesting to see, uh, like, just not Ubisoft, but, like, this year specifically, like, more studios uh, kind of, like, uh, accidentally, like, releasing games or, like, updates uh, located either from, like, a character perspective or a location perspective. Uh, from uh, Latin America. Mm-hmm. Like we have um, Mendoza from Argentina right. in Hitman 3. And then we had Flores, which is supposedly an Argentinian operator in like Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, and now Far Cry. And the whole has been like a few months apart between each other. Um, and I think Hitman 3 being like the best example, but not perfect, they all like fumble. In the same things like the lack of proper accent or the lack yeah. of like it's Spanish, uh, like proper uh, Spanish usage, and it's just uh, there have been a lot of indie games or like indie studios in the past year, in the past few years. Like for example, the, uh, the folks that made Andara in uh, Brazil, um, or like the folks that made Blasphemous in, in Spain. It's just, I would love to see them, like, with higher budgets. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, just doing, like, bigger swings that they've been doing because they they clearly have the intentions and they clearly have, like, the fan base uh, to do that, to, like, represent culture in, like, different ways. Mm-hmm. That isn't just, like, this is a game about, I don't know, like, an Argentinian person, but, like, for example, Blasphemous is, like, a Metroidvania that took like a lot of like uh, the culture about the Spanish uh, religious uh, religion there. Uh, that's like really cool to see. That doesn't fall into like the immediate trope of uh, yeah. If we were making like a game about this Latin American um, setting, it has to be a, like from sorry, it has to be about I don't know a dictatorship or right. like <laughs> right. guerrillas. Struggle. It can be about other things as well. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixed feeling, I think. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point about blasphemous, that, that game is so deeply Spanish, but you, I don't think you know that unless you've kind of lived there or know people who, who, you know, have spent a lot of time there, but it's like, you're right. It's not this immediately recognizable thing of, uh, you know, sort of Western lens of a dictatorship or whatever, um, 
and yeah, it would be nice to see those budgets uh, go up for for those groups and and see what they could do with them. Uh, to your point about Mendoza, I mean that that might have been the first time I've seen the tango represented even remotely accurately, not just in a game, but like in any Western media. I feel like that's like been a a bad trope for many years, like dancing the tango, and it's never ever accurate. But Hitman Three got it mostly right, which was bizarre to me. Yeah, um, yeah, he was really surprised with that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you you also wrote a piece over uh, on on Polygon as well about that specific level, which I think everyone should go read because it's very cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that that would be a great solution. Having these amazing international studios just get higher budgets to do more stuff, but I think that authenticity really lends itself to. Um, more interesting stories. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate this perspective. Um, I don't know. Any parting thoughts about Far Cry 7? Where can they go from here? D- does anyone care? Uh, <laughs> I Yeah, I, I mean, if, if, our, if their track record at this point continues to be, um, I guess, you know, keep continue in this direction, I feel like they're they're already sort of forecasting what is next i'm sure it's going to be some you know who knows what nerves they'll be they'll be touching on next time but yeah i don't know i mean far cry is one of those things where it's like again you you know what you're getting into before you you get into it and um it's going to continue to i guess do this and ruffle feathers because i feel like at this point it's just a part of its marketing you know, it's it's just like expected to be a part of the discussion and it, it's meant to sort of stir the pot in a way that's like that just gives folk gives it like, you know, a sort of buzz around it. And whether, you know, and I think for a lot of folks who are going to play it because of how it's being marketed, I mean, I'm seeing ads before shows run. That's like, hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito. I've played you know this kind of villain before and if you want to see that again it's like hello breaking bad fan um hi so yeah, uh, come to popoyos hermanos i'm wearing a di- <laughs> I'm wearing a dictator outfit this time thank uh, you every time every time i'm sorry giancarlo you're my guy but every time you spoke spanish in breaking bad i was just like curled into a ball just like <laughs> hurting hurting but um yeah i don't know diego what do you think yeah, I, I'm on the same fence, really. I mean, they still have, like, a couple story DLCs uh, to come out. One right. of them, like, featuring Danny Trejo, because, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, I won't come, like, like Paul said, uh, I, I don't come expecting, I didn't come expecting, like, a lot from Far Cry. Sure. Um, and that's a different, a good perspective on how a lot of that comes down to, like, marketing, because just... Uh, yeah, the story is like not the biggest focus uh, in these games, uh, and gameplay-wise, it hasn't changed much. So, yeah, a lot of the buzz just comes like from yeah. that kind of let's cast this person for this role and let's just wrap uh, a lot of the American setting around it and let's just see where it goes. Yeah. And it's a shame uh, because I know like there's big consultancy. Uh, I don't know the. The, the, one of the composers of the soundtrack is from uh, Cordoba, Argentina. Uh, there are a lot of like Latin American folks in that team, uh, but I'm not sure how many of them actually get to like uh, make the decisions that um, end up like being like the biggest influence 
uh, from like what gets into the game in the end. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. To, to your point, I mean, it's so interesting that they'll take these cultural, uh, these loaded cultural uh, elements and put them in a game where ultimately the story matters very little. And so it does make me wonder, like, you know, in Far Cry 5, they didn't even get bad white people right. Like they hedged their bets on all of that the whole time, you know, and um, kind of begs the question, like, why did they even bother with some of the stuff where I think their most successful forays into this gameplay loop are some of their most disconnected and story agnostic, you know, titles like blood dragon and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it just has nothing to do with anything. And that seems to be, I think where they're most successful. And yet they spend millions of dollars, um, trying to build up this, uh, fictitious, uh, this, this fictional, but heavily influenced place. And they, they end up doing kind of a, a rotten job every time. Um, well, this is, I don't know, this has been a great discussion. I really appreciate, uh, both of your perspectives on this game. Cause I've, I needed a lot of this context to unpack some of the stuff that I was feeling as I play through the early <laughs> hours of this game. Um, uh, Diego, where can folks find you online? Yeah. Folks are going to find me on Twitter, mostly procrastinating at, um, Diego Arguello 66. That's Diego Arguello 66. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm always there. Thank sadly. you so much. <laughs> yeah, sadly. <laughs> uh, you can also find Diego's writing uh, on polygon.com and on fanbyte.com and just many places. So um, thank you, Diego. And Paul, you know what? I'm, I'll am I'll, I'll get to you. I'll yeah, get to you yeah later. that's cool. I'm, that's cool. I'm always here. Always I'll be here. around. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's going to do it, folks, for this week's episode. I want to thank a bunch of guests. I want to thank Natalie Flores. I want to thank uh, Erica Mori. I want to thank Katie Bentz. I want to thank Diego Arguesha. I want to thank uh, my wonderful producer, Paul Tamayo, who is also on the show. Uh, if you want to follow uh, Natalie, you can do so over at Hardemisia. Uh, if you want to follow Paul, you can do so at uh, Polymayo. Uh, you heard Diego's info earlier. If you want to follow me, you can do so over at Floppy Adult. You can find all of our podcasts at podcastnet.work. Uh, thank you so much. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a, 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 a subscribe, a review. Uh, tell your friends about the show. We have cool interviews like this all the time. We, we doubled up this week because we've just got such an amazing slate of stuff coming up over the next couple months. And of course, I'm always here uh, delivering the news the best I can because it comes pretty fast these days. <laughs> anyway, until next week, you're welcome. Welcome.